You may have heard of us, but you might not know Bank First is a community bank that has no fee ATM access, interest, and perks earning checking accounts. With online and mobile banking, mortgages for every stage of life, and modern business banking for businesses, small and big. We keep it all together to put you first. Do you bank with us? You should. Bank First is an equal housing lender and a member of FDIC. Well, it's time for Sunday Coffee here in the Farm Bureau Studios in downtown Starkville. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. And welcome back for another week here in the summer dead time. You know, Charlie, last year, I think you said we did that national championship show, and then we pretty much took a month off. And so we've got a lot more, like, shows this year during the summer. The, the summertime is a lot longer this year than it was last year. Last year we had, like, three weekends where – you could go home on the weekend and get some things done in the yard. This year, I've got a lot of things done in the yard because I've had open weekends. I'd appreciate it if you would not share any ideas about doing yard work or any forms of manual labor. My wife listens to this. Let's not go there. Well, you said last week you don't even own a lawnmower. Or was I that, do not. And, and you don't don't mow your yard. Do you I pick do weeds out of the out of the yard? You do anything with the flower beds? None of that. I barely walk on the grass, much less take care of it. Okay. Well, listen, I've got my tall boy Strange Brew Coffee this morning. Strange Brew, three locations. I went to the University Drive location. Got my blueberry-flavored coffee this morning. And um, I saw where Shane and the get. Those guys are on the – Shane and the family are on vacation on the Book of Face. They're in Wiscasset, Maine yesterday. You ever okay. been to, never been there. Never been to Maine? Never been to Maine. Maine's an awesome state. The thing about Wiscasset is they've got a place called Red's Eats. They have these lobster rolls. Fantastic. Maine is very similar to Oregon as far as its coastline being rocky coastline, but Oregon's more north and south. Maine kind of jets in and out. Good place to go. Anyway, so I've got my Strange Brew this morning. You got Strange Brew over there? I'm going to pods today. I do have Strange Brew, but I made it myself. Got up this morning, and the first thing on the tube was Wimbledon. The uh, the championship is Djokovic. Wimbledon later than it used to be. Like I always associated Wimbledon with July fourth. Now I know it was playing during July fourth, but is it pushed back or is my memory just wrong? You know, I was thinking about that the other day because when we went to the College World Series in late June, they in two thousand thirteen. I think they were playing Wimbledon or starting Wimbledon around that time. The fortnight had begun. Yeah, and yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It seems like it is pushed back a little bit. I've always wanted to go to Wimbledon. We're sitting there yesterday. We're watching the, the women's final, and I was like, you know, I'm just curious. I'm going to pop on StubHub and see how much a ticket is for tomorrow's men's final. And the cheapest ticket I could find on StubHub was 13500 a ticket. Wow. So I guess I'm going to have to win the lottery. As far as the ticket lottery at Wimbledon, I don't know if they have the ticket lottery for the finals or just find somebody that's willing to give me a ticket. I think it was Bob Dylan that had the song line, I used to care, but things have changed. I used to care about Wimbledon. I can't tell you who played for the women's finals yesterday. I can't tell you who's playing today. But when I was a kid, you know, Bjorg, McEnroe, even older, you had Sampras and then Nadal. I mean, you had something. Boris Becker. Boris Becker, the German. Okay, you know, let me tell you. He, won it, he was really young when he won it, right? Yeah. Like 18, 19? And he won it a ton of times. And then you had Andre Agassi, of course. Andy Roddick. Jimmy Connors. Jimmy Connors. Wasn't it Agassi who, like, threw them all in a loop because he didn't wear all white? You know, you remember that? That sounds right. Yeah. You know, he kind of embraced the rebel thing. Yeah. 
advertised for the Rebel camera at the one time. Did he not? Yeah, wasn't it like the EOS or something? Yeah. Was that what it was? So who's won the most Wimbledons? Is that Federer? It's got to be Federer. Got to be Federer. Then he had Sampras in there. Um, Djokovic playing right now. Of course, it'll be over by the time we uh, we finish this. But uh, Djokovic, you know, Nadal's won a few, but it's got to be Federer. I like Federer. You know why I like Federer? Because he just seems like a good dude. Yeah, I can see that. The thing I remember about Federer, he won it one time and then went and changed for the trophy presentation. He wanted long pants on, which just seemed really strange to me. But Wimbledon has always been a bucket list thing for me. It really has. I think that when I think of sporting events that I would love to go to, and you start thinking about you know bucket list, and everybody has their bucket list things. I don't know if I would put it at number one, but I would probably put it in the top three of going to Wimbledon. Mine, as far as the islands have gone, the British Isles, mine has always been the Open Championship. Yeah. It just, there's something about, you know, it's always dark, foggy. It just seems like that would be a cool place to play golf. I think, to me, the the Open Championship would be cool if it's at St. Andrews like it is this year. I think of Carnoustie, which would be pretty cool. But sometimes when you get those one-off courses, I don't know if I really want to go to the Open Championship in one of those one-off deals. But, of course, they keep their rotation pretty small. But uh, I would always like to go to, to St. Andrews for the, for the Open Championship. That's a good topic for another day maybe about sports, sports bucket list. Sports bucket hey, list. you made me think of something, though, and that was my great Wimbledon <sighs> memory. And I pulled this up. So – a lot of the younger generation won't remember this, but if you don't remember the great John McEnroe, McEnroe, now we're used to, we talk about how maybe the decorum in sports isn't where it ought to be. McEnroe was the Tennessee baseball of tennis. Is that, <laughs> he was that guy. But so here, I got to play this for you, Bart, just about 40 seconds here. My favorite Wimbledon memory, and I know you know what this is going to be. The line. So McEnroe serves, thinks he got it in. It's a chalk. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Chalk flew up. Chalk flew up. It was clearly it. How can you possibly call that out? Okay, so the thing there is chalk flew up. I mean, when's the last time that they used chalk? I haven't seen chalk fly there. You know, they used to line football fields, baseball fields. The last time you saw chalk out on the baseball field. Yeah, in the outfield. And so I guess they, they paint everything now. You know, but Wimbledon, uh, not to go down a side story here, you know, Wimbledon was kind of on the cutting edge for so long about balls on the line. They had the old Cyclops system. You know, if you're serving and the ball was, you know, like – Six inches long, it would boop, you know, and now they don't do that, of course, anymore because you have the replay. Everybody claps in unison and everybody wants to watch the replay up on the big board. It's always kind of set the tone. You know, even though it's it's old school, England got to wear the white and, you know, they've always been on, kind of on the cutting edge with technology. Have you seen the deal, by the way, you talk about getting surfaces ready to go. I forget what it's called, field tank or something, but that'll you can just, it's basically like a, a robot. They like fill the, it up with paint, and it's like the sharp vacuum. Sharp yeah, vacuum. You just turn it loose, and it paints your field. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm kind of a traditionalist though. I, I want some sweat equity in that field. Yeah, I don't. I don't trust it. I don't trust anything with technology. All right. So th- hey, this time next week, we talked about last week about how we'll jump into a position group this week with football, and you know, baseball is is now done and gone. And is it? Well, that's I mean, what, look, some of the biggest weekends of the summer are right on us for baseball. Well, there you took away my segue. Okay. You took away me, my, my brain. I was just giving you a, an assist. Share well, the ball here. So the draft is next week. In the old days, and I saw this past week where we had a lot of our, our guys on campus, some signees on campus, and it used to be the old days where if they ever went to class that first day, you got them. That's the Jim Case, Paul Mahalam story, right? Yeah, and so the, a lot of these guys I mean, are – Everybody's sitting outside the classroom just <laughs> trying to push him through the door. <laughs> Thank you there. We didn't have Twitter back then, man. You'd have everybody with cell phone cameras. Paul Mahalam went to class this Yeah, video, and here he is entering the doorway. He's stuck now. <laughs> Is it actually when he walks in the doorway or the teacher starts class? <laughs> yeah, that'd be. That one. What is the line of demarcation? Yes. Okay. What, you know, there's no turning back now. So those guys are on campus right now, but the draft is coming up next Sunday. So a week from today, Sunday through Tuesday. Is that right? And it's going to be 20 rounds this year. Is that correct? 20 rounds. All right. 38 uh, people, by the way, will be able to somewhat call themselves first rounders. Because you've got supplemental picks, then you have competitive balance picks. All that just gets piled on the first round. So 38, of course, it gets piled on different rounds, but you do have them tagged onto the first round. Do you see who the top prospects in the draft are this year, by the way? This gets away from Mississippi State, but wasn't it – I don't know if you saw this, but I I thought it was interesting. The top guys are all kids of former major league players. Or former pro athletes, at least. Yeah, you got Drew Jones, number one. A lot of people are saying number one. And Drew Jones, the son of Andrew Jones. And then Jackson Holliday, the shortstop from Stillwater, Oklahoma, projected number two. And these projections are about a month It's old. Matt Holliday's kid, it's right? It's Matt Holliday's kid. And then number three is Elijah Green, plays down at the IMG Academy. He's committed to Miami, but his dad is – Former Pro Bowl tight end Eric Green. And so the top three, like you said, the kids of former pro athletes. How much stock do you put into the power of expectation and experience of those kids growing up? I think that's a lot of it. I think it's a lot of especially in the game of baseball, just kind of keeping them in an even keel. And for them not to – I think it means a lot, especially for a younger guy going into the minor leagues at 18 – just looking through here, Jace Young, the second baseman for Texas Tech, we saw him the past couple of years. He's projected at number nine. Uh, look at number 17. Number 17. Oh, Zach Neto. Yeah, Campbell. Got to see him play. Well, he's a good player. Yeah, we saw that guy, and, and what did we say? Man. Transfer, transfer, that transfer. Dude, that dude is solid right there. Um you see in the SEC, the first SEC guy projected off the board is Jacob Berry. We said that all year long at number seven. And, uh, hey, when you start thinking about guys, and, and I think as a Mississippi State fan, you wonder, okay, who are the people we really need to be you know, cognizant of next week when the draft starts? You know, Jet Williams from Rockwall, Texas, is projected number 21. He's a Mississippi State signee. Uh, chances of you seeing him, you know, pitch at duty noble or play at duty noble he's a shortstop is uh very very slim unless we see him throw out a first pitch in you know five or six years from now as one of our you know we need to do a show on the guys that we signed 
that went pro. Pat Borders. Pat Borders. Jay Bell. Jay Bell. You got Billy Hamilton, who was a football signee. And then you've got the guys who went pro and then never made it. Corey Dickerson. Corey Dickerson. Forgot about him. Yeah. But, would, you know, you've got your Reed Cornelius, your Kirk Presleys. Yeah, that, that would be a decent show. Uh, Jordan Beck, Tennessee 23. Just looking through here. Uh, top 100, Mississippi State. Uh, Logan Tanner, 41. And then Landon Sims at 44. And you mentioned 38 picks in the first round. Is that including the supplemental round? Yes. Okay. Kumar Rocker at 38. So how many times do we see a guy during the season and we say, man, this guy's a first-round pick. About 100. We see a, yeah, about 100 guys, and then at the end of the day, it ends up you know, being 38. Jonathan Cannon. We talked about Jonathan Cannon earlier this year. Your front-line guy for Georgia. Hey, he's a probable first-round pick. He's projected to number 60 right now. So, I mean, you start looking through here, and, um, hey, Bradley Lofton, that's another name. I think he was a Mississippi State guy. That, uh, 39. I was wrong, by the way. 39. 39 picks. Lofton is um, 77. Like I said, this projection is about a month old. Bradley Lofton from DeSoto Central. He's a Mississippi State signee, left-handed pitcher. All right, so that goes back to the point I was making earlier about the kind of the biggest couple of weeks coming up. Between now and school, between next weekend and school, I mean, we've got some signees on campus already enrolled in school, but because the way the rules have changed, drafts been pushed back and everything else, they can still get drafted and go, and Lofton is one of those guys. You talk about having to find a way. You know, there's been so much talk about other potential transfers, guys in the portal, pitchers, pretty good. I won't ask you to talk about it. But Lofton is every bit as important. I mean, that's a guy who could be a, a weekend starter for you from the day he gets here. Early on, yeah. Hey, and it's so crazy when you start thinking about the major league draft and, and success of guys in college and you start thinking about upside and potential. You know, Ivan Melendez, Texas. I mean Scouts don't love him though, do no, they? No, he's nine ninety nine. Yeah, that was weird. Now Kendall Rogers loves him. Loves him. L- loves him. I mean, the him. guys in on the broadcast in Omaha loved him, but the scouts for whatever reason, when you looked at Melendez, what was I thought he just looked a little stiff. Very stiff. And doesn't he bat right? He does bat right. He lost me. And, I, hey, listen, I, we, we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. These guys are kids. And you know, 18 to 22-year-olds. He's a 22-year-old kid. And I, I don't want to take shots at a 22-year-old kid. But when Here he comes the shot. But, man, when he flipped the bat toward the pitcher at South Carolina, he lost me. Yeah. And, and, it, and it wasn't just that. Is He said it's – somebody said it, well, it slipped out of his hand or what. I don't know. But unless you come back and own that – Unless you come back and say, hey, I really didn't mean to do that. I mean, you had the chance to come back and apologize. He didn't do that, so he lost me there. Uh, Tyler Locklear. I'm a big Derek Jeter fan, obviously. When Jeter hit his 3,000th hit, the home run at Yankee Stadium, 11 years ago yesterday, by the way, of course he gets mobbed. You know, he's celebrating. He looks at David Price and apologizes for the celebration that just took place when he got his 3,000th hit. I mean, keep in mind, like, their whole team came out, clapped. The Yankees, of course, mobbed him. And Jeter was trying to escape all of it and basically looks at David Price like, hey, man. That's, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's the way it should be. Uh, Tyler Locklear, remember that guy, the third baseman from VCU? We yeah. We saw him last year. 98 right in front of Ivan Melendez. Anyway, I could go through this and look all day, but to me that's the, the big name if you're a Mississippi State. And there's, there's several big names in here. I hate to say just one. 
But I think that the big name you look at is is going to be the kid from DeSoto Central, who is you know, Bradley Lofton. You know, we've got some other guys who, with a phone call, could elevate up the boards too. So when you start to make out lists and where people might go, part of it is draftability. You know, the Yankees, for example, have a guy. They, they have guys that do two things. One guy goes around and just gets to know the person. He doesn't do anything with baseball ability at all. He just wants to know what kind of guy is this. Which yeah. To me, he's pretty cool. Absolutely. They have another guy, though, who goes around, and his job is basically to figure out, can we sign him? All right. If we pick this kid in the third round, is he going to come or not? So it happens all the time in baseball that you'll see a guy who might have been a third rounder, but they don't go to the 20th. So I was watching the Brewers game yesterday. Their first baseman is a guy named Rowdy Telez. Yes, sir. Who is a big old guy. Big dude. And so Telez, as it turns out, is from Sacramento, signed with USC. And this is back when the draft was really long. He doesn't go until the 30th round. And what is USC saying? Yeah, we're getting him. No way he's going pro. <laughs> and then the Blue Jays come at the end and drop $850,000 on him. Yeah. And, I mean, he's getting considered that's been a while. So he's getting, what, third-round money? That's you know, crazy. Getting yeah. picked in the 30th round at the time. And so all that is to say the draft's not as long now, so I don't think you've got as many of those. Just take a flyer on the guy in the end and see if you can sign him. But you can't always be fooled by draft pick. No, you can't. You know, I met Telez last year. Did you? I did. I went to Pittsburgh, and I saw Brandon Woodruff. Did you see the picture of him and the guy for Pittsburgh, by the way, on Twitter yesterday? No, I didn't. All right, so I forget the guy's name that plays for Pittsburgh. He is six foot two seventy. the guy for Pittsburgh. And so they've got him standing on first base next to Telez. And it's like, <laughs> this ought to be in a museum. I mean, those guys make our friend over at Auburn <laughs> look Sunny Deshaun. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so what was funny about that was is before the game started, I sent uh, I sent Woody a text and said, hey, I'm over here by the first place dugout. Just want to say hello or whatever. And uh, anyway, he walks out of the dugout and he comes out. And, man, all these Milwaukee fans are right there. And it's almost like he's a rock star. Woody, Brandon Wood, you know, whatever. He gives over there and he gets over there and he signs everything for every little kid. Of course, he's not pitching that day. Signs everything for every kid there. Takes some, you know, some selfies right there by the screen. And then, you know, the game's about to start. Everybody leaves. They sing the national anthem. He goes, what's up, man? I mean, and it's just an old country boy from Wheeler, which is just so funny to me about how that country guy from Wheeler is one of the <laughs> – Biggest dogs in Major League Baseball. I love it. Yeah, he's awesome. Like, they oh, yeah. love him up there. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you see, when when you start looking at Milwaukee, you can understand why he is so liked there and why he likes it there. Milwaukee is not – if you've got to pick Major League cities to live in, that's about as rural as you can get in yeah. terms of the mentality. I get it. It's a major city, but it's not – yeah, it's, it's not L.A. It's no, not New York. No, I mean, it's not even St. Louis. I mean, it's not a big place. And you know who their their writer is for? Is it the Athletic? I think is it Athletic or MLB. But uh, Will Salmon, remember yeah, Will he used Salmon to be here with Clarion Ledger? He's one of their main writers with the, with the Brewers. I saw saw Will last year too. Brad Cumbus. Speaking of country, Brad Cumbus is one seventy three. So he's a top two hundred guy as far as the Major League Baseball draft prospects. Of the guys currently on our roster, 
the ones I think you can say absolutely positively will never wear maroon again. Cumbest, Sims, Cameron James. You don't think you'll see Cameron James? You think he'll be back? I'm just asking you the question. I think he's gone. Don't ask but back. That's the thing about you guys, you attorneys. I ask you a question, you're going to ask me three back. Okay? Ross Highfield, 197. Catch There's from- no way Cameron James comes back, is there? I'm just saying, I don't know. I mean, I'm just asking you. The, I ask you the question first. Okay. I ask you. You didn't ask me. So you have to answer before I answer. All right, so that's a look at the Major League Baseball draft just a little bit. So I want to keep Gerangelo. Yeah, the guy that can. I'm not even going to try to say his last name. But he's from Curacao. You know who else is from Curacao? Was it Avilas that set? Uh, Alex. Was that Alex Avilas? Yeah, over at Atlanta. Uh, D.D. Gregorius is from Curacao. And that is why, by the way, Curacao is tied to the Netherlands. It was a colony of the Netherlands, I guess, at one point. But yeah. so when you play, when they had the World Baseball Championships, Didi Gregorius played for the Netherlands. Okay. They won, and he was knighted. And so that's why if you go to Twitter, he is Sir Didi. But isn't in, in Curacao the – and I know they all have a lot of, you know, doesn't have a lot of differentiation between, like, bright colors for their buildings. Isn't that, isn't that Curacao? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Play along. All right. Hey, let's look at a position group. You pick the position group. Kicking. Kicking. Are we looking at kicking or looking at special teams or just kicking? I want to look at kickers and punters. All right. Because I don't yet know enough in terms of who's going to be your long snapper, who's going to be your holder. Those things are subject to change, right? Yeah. Well, I think we know who our kickers are. Here's the thing about a snapper. A long snapper is those guys are completely in the shadows until something goes wrong. If if when, when the media starts googling who's your long snapper, he's probably made a mistake. So, rank the positions that you would least be willing to do on a football field. I think holder and long snapper have to be on the list. Why is long snapper on the list of least wanting to do? Yeah. Oh, because what you just said. Yeah. Well, if you're the holder, nobody ever leaves a game and says, man, that was a great hold. Man, you got those laces right where they <laughs> needed to go. You know, hey, man, I just want to thank you all year long because the snaps were perfect. You only notice them when things go wrong. That is true. Punt returner would be on my list of things that I would not do. No, no, you couldn't. I'd be the fair catchingest guy you've ever met. Which uh, which kind of brings us to okay, let's look at our kickers and most punters. underrated play in football. By the way, most underrated, most underrated play in football is the fair catch. Yeah, yeah. Nobody gets excited. I don't want a return guy. I mean, I'd look, I'd love a return guy that can do big things. But in today's football, just don't let it roll out twenty yards. Make sure you catch it. Just catch it. Fair catch. I don't care. Don't fumble it. Because if you fumble it, I'm going to be cussing you. Yeah, now we got problems. Yeah. All right, so kicker-wise, if we're going to talk about kickers. So I guess you start with Massimo Biscardi from Coastal Carolina. Ashanta Clear. Yes. And then Ben Rabin, who is a transfer from northern Colorado. That's in Greeley, Colorado. You ever been to Greeley? I have been to Greeley. That town smells. Let me tell you why the town smells. They've got a meat packing plant just outside of town. A lot of a lot of cow pasture areas, okay? And then when the wind blows just right, man, it's brutal. That's Greeley, Colorado. It's Shout north of- out to the Greeley Chamber of Commerce. 
If you'd like to advertise on our show, <laughs> I'm just saying. Bart.gregory at gmail.com. All right, so about Biscardi. All right, he's a guy from Coastal Carolina. You got one guy from, you know, played it in Myrtle Beach. You got another guy that played in Greeley, Colorado. Okay. Easy enough selection if given the choice. Right. So, so Biscardi, here was the thing for me. What, when I look at a kicker, what I want to know is. I mean, you know, you get hung up sometimes on the guy who can drill one through from 60. I don't care. I mean, I don't candidly want us in the position of taking many field goals from that distance unless it's an end-to-half type situation. I don't want to give somebody the ball there. But what I do want to know is if we're kicking a 38-yarder, is it going in? Yeah, to me, that's the big thing about kickers. Inside of 40. You give me the points that should be on the board. And I say 45 out. A lot of people say 50. I say 45 out. Then all of a sudden you're getting to you know coin flip territory. But anything inside of 40, you want to see split them. So inside of 40 for the past two seasons. And keep in mind, Biscardi, he's like 34, I think. No, I mean, he's, he's played four seasons. So the, he will be a fifth-year guy. He's got his COVID year. Inside of 40 yards over the last two years, he's 11 of 11. I can, I can work I'm, with that. Yeah. Between 40 and 49, 5 of 8. Eh, I can take that. But how about this? In his career, I just told you I didn't care about long field goals. Over 50 yards, he's 4 or 5. So the guy's got a good If you have left. to have it. Yeah, if you have to have a game winner at the very end, somebody that has the opportunity of throwing it up there from 55. Hey, so here's a interesting thing, though. I wonder in the Mike Leach system how much more inclined we're going to be just to go for it instead of to kick anyway. You know, when you're at the 30-yard line, or let's let's take it down. Hey, we punted at the 30 one time under Croom. Oh, my goodness, I remember. At Georgia. I remember. <laughs> so, but let's say you got the ball at the 22 on a fourth and two. That would be a 39-yard attempt if you elect to kick there, 39-40, depending on how much you drop. I get all that. Are you probably going to go for that on fourth and two in today's world, though, aren't you? And I, yeah, like not just Mike Leach. I think in the analytics world in general, how many times are our teams punting from midfield anymore? Not not many. So how about this to prove that point? Just I just glanced at Biscardi's numbers in that distance. His first two years at Coastal Carolina, he attempted fourteen combined field goals between thirty and thirty-nine. In the past two years, he attempted three. And so you wonder, that may not be just a reflection on the way their offense got bogged down and where. You wonder how many times that's just a choice that in that range we're going away from the field goal now. Well, Coastal Carolina the past couple of years has been so good offensively, they had not had to kick a whole lot of field goals. Well, there is that. In fact, 36 attempts his first two seasons, 21 the last two. Now, you want the one thing that jumped out at me that I didn't love? Can I put on my half-empty hat a minute? Okay, I'm there with you. In his career. And I thought I was the negative one, but go ahead. I'm just trying to help you out, man. Yep. In his career, he's missed 11 extra points. Ooh, 11? 11. That's double digits. 161 out of 172, which is about 93-something percent. SEC average is 97%. So he missed... Three his first year, two his second, four year three, and two last year. Now, I don't know what kind of holder they've got. I don't know what kind of snapper they've got. That's that's a lot. That's a lot two years ago when he missed four. Um, okay, sidebar here. 
complete sidebar, and I apologize. I just rolled out of bed, so you know, my mind's not working clean this morning. You know, the NFL a few years ago went back to what is it's a 32-yard field goal on extra points. And I've been wanting to ask you this question. Would you like to see college football move the PATs back or keep them where they are? I mean, they've been a 20-yard extra point forever. I mean, would you like to see them move it back to the – not the 15, but say the 10, where everything's a 27-yard field goal on an extra point? That's interesting. I, you remember Peter King? You keep up Peter King, yeah, pro football writer, Monday morning quarterback. Peter King loves some Peter King. But he wrote an article a number of years ago about the extra point being the biggest waste of time in football. And if we're talking about speeding up the game, either make it count or do away with it. It's just it just kind of soaks up time when the clock isn't even running. I mean, 97%, that's not flawless, but it's it's pretty high. I don't know, maybe and you could argue, potentially, one, it's going to add some excitement. Add number, a lot of excitement. Number two, it's going to increase the importance of the kicking game, which i got to think through, given our history with the kicking game. And it's going to make it, arguably, you could say it helps the kickers, right, if you're trying to show that you can make the transition to pro football, that kind of thing. It gives them a little more of an audition. I mean, we're talking about a 27-yard field goal here. We're not talking about 45. We're talking about. Oh, so you're wanting to move it only to the ten? Yeah, I want we're to, not going all the way to the fifteen. No, let's move it to let's move it to the ten. Let's make a twenty-seven yard field goal on an extra point. You know, in the, in the NFL, some guys like it from one of the hashes. I really want to take it from the left hash. You know, I don't have to take it from the middle of the field. Does that change that too? You know, if you start throwing, you know, a twenty-seven yard field goal, do you have a guy does Massimo feel better from the left hash than he does the middle of the field? What if you made them move it? Like first touchdown, you got to go left. Next one, you got to go center. Next one, you got to go, go right. right. <laughs> so think about that. Do we, as Mississippi State, benefit if kicking is made more important? Because you'd say kicking is made more important, even with that slight degree of difficulty. How many times? I was trying to think back. How many times we've lost a game? because we couldn't make a field goal. There's a few last year. Well, I think of Kentucky in 2008. Was that the game we missed extra point and hit the, hit the upright? That's been a while ago. That was the last year of Sylvester Croom. That's two Croom references in the show. Sorry. Apologize. Now, we lost by three to LSU, missed some field goals, but, I mean, that was – Yeah, we had to score a bunch of points late to make it close. Yeah, so I don't know if I – Arkansas, you clearly put on the ledger. Well, we missed three. Well, 0 for 3, right? And anything there helps you. Ole Miss, you didn't. So, you lost by, what, 10 to Ole Miss last year? I was broadcasting a men's basketball game. I didn't even go back and watch the replay. But you missed a couple of field goals. And I'll borrow your baseball line. You know, games are sequential. Sometimes missing a field goal has negative effects that carry on later. We had the South Alabama game. We've got... We had that BYU game. We lost in double overtime. We missed a field goal there early in the ball game. That was out there, right? Yeah, that was, I think, double overtime. And that was a game that ended at like 2 in the morning? Yeah, I kind of missed a lot of that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Hey, so the thing that stands out, we we talk about kicking and special teams. Nick Saban would not vote for that. <laughs> Man. Eric Mealy is the new special teams coach. 
And, of course, he's been the running backs coach. When you sit there and say, man, you're moving a guy from running backs to special teams, is he really putting his – Mike Leach putting an emphasis on the kicking game. But it, it's interesting when Eric Mealy started working with Mike Leach. This is about to be his 11th year to work with Mike Leach. And from 2014 to 17 at Washington State, he was Mike Leach's special teams coach. And in the 20 years he's been in the coaching profession, 11 have been overseeing special teams. And so while he's been a running backs coach, he's kind of moving back to familiar territory, being the special teams coach. See, uh, I tried to give you a promotion, but I can't do it anymore. you got to go back to doing the job you were, not because you were bad, but because well, we, you know how to fix it. Yeah, we got to fix it. we got to, we got to figure it out. Hey, what about punter? Well, uh, to me, punting is a deal where, and, and Charlie, you may disagree with this. Something you, you talked a minute ago about, I want a guy that can kick at 60 yards, but I don't have to have a guy that can kick at 60 yards. To me, punting is essentially the same way. I think one of the things about punting, and I'm, for a guy sitting at the 30-yard line watching a punter, he just wants to see how high and pretty he can punt a ball, how deep he can punt a ball. I think one of the things that's very underrated in the punting game is directional punting. If you tell a guy, I need you to kick it outside that left hash because I don't need Javier Arenas running this punt back. So when in Mississippi State might you be drawing from for a reference here? Yeah, third crew. Kentucky. Well, uh, David Abney. (laughs) Derek Abney. Abney, Goodness. You know, kick kick it away from the guy. And sometimes the guys can't kick it away from the guy. Like, what about the guy punting the ball? Well, we're gonna have looks like George Georgeopolis. Okay. I guess that's how he says it. Okay. That's well, another go with it. another fifth year guy. Transfer from UMass. Not exactly a powerhouse of intercollegiate football, but that's okay. The thing that jumped out at me about Georgeopolis, if you look at his raw punting numbers, pretty good. In the sense of what what is it that we always gravitate towards first? And probably wrongly, we always look at What's the average punt? Yeah, average punt. 45 yards. Hang time. And then, what? of course, net punting is a big deal. Yeah. So, But in last year, net punt of 42. You take that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I really liked about him, the guy can flat down it inside the 20. In his career, 60 balls dead inside the 20, only six touchbacks. Wow. That's, really? that's pretty dang good. Now, the thing that jumps out, and you'd have to go back and look at all his punts and say, what's going on here, the who's, what's, when's, and why's. His average hang time for his career is 3.1. Hmm. And you want that number to be more like 4.3, It's a full second. So, man, a full second with a punt in the air, that's a long, that's a long way. And last year it was only 2.8. And so when you go and you look at the recruiting metrics for a punter, you want a guy – 42 yards and four or five on hang time. We're getting the yards, but need the ball to hang up there a little more. Again, don't know all the ins and outs and how that breaks down. The one thing that jumped out at me, how about this? And this goes back to the hang time issue. Only 2.8 seconds last year, 41% of his punts had a return on them. Now, obviously, they weren't big returns. He only had he only gave up six yards of return. But, but still, yeah, the guys are returning punts. They're not punts. playing – it's almost Toledo like here. yeah, punt returners and kick returners in today's world. You know, you don't get as much 
I mean, Tulu was great for us last year on a kickoff return against NC State. But in today's world with a fair catch, and if you fair catch on a kickoff, you put it to the 25. And, and in today's world of a punt returner, what do you want out of a punt returner? One is I want a guy to catch the ball and, and not let it roll out. The most underrated play in college football is the fair catch. Yes, absolutely. Um but returning 41% of the time where the other parts – where other teams, that part of the game is not as big as it used to be. For 41% of the time that that be run, that may that may be a highlighted number to me. That means something. But he had some – he had some games where, you know, you go back and you look, talk about punting being a weapon. Last year against New Mexico State, drops three inside the 20 – but, again, those return numbers, that's what I want to dig into a little bit more. And how about this? Even on a game-by-game -game basis, we talked about, you know, one of your hang time up there. Even on a game-by-game -game basis, the highest he ever had was 3.4. Now, let me make the defense here and tell you why that might not matter. And this goes back to having to break down films. Sometimes you are being asked, get it on the ground. Sometimes you're being asked, kick it away from the guy, get on the ground, roll it out of bounds. So there's a lot that goes into that. But if I had to flag anything. That would be the hang time. Yeah, because the other thing is if you're kicking, let's say your theory is, well, we're going to get it on the ground, get it away from them, so we're not looking for hang time. You don't want them picking it up. Yeah. Not 26 times in a year. Hmm. So. Well, that's a look at the kickers and the punters. We've got to figure out what we're going to talk about next week. Charlie, it ain't long now before football starts. It's getting on us, isn't it? Yeah, less than two months. And so we I got something I want to do, by the way. What's that? I want to I want us to break it out and I want us to at some point look and see who is your walk on that you have most likely to make a name for himself this year. Um, I'd have to look at it. My my first thought in this offense would be an inside receiver or something of that nature. Because what did we see last year? About midway through the season, and Christian Ford just came on. Everybody's like, who's this guy? You know what I'm saying? It's almost – and Mike Leach has shown we're going to run a lot of guys out there at wide receiver positions. But also, if you if you do well in practice, he is going to put you in front of the folks. Well, He's you're going, in luck. You have two walk-ons at inside receiver this year. You have Braden Coffey and Nick Lauderdale. Okay. So – and we got four working it outside. No, excuse me. You got three working it outside. So five walk-on receivers in total. That I would just break down. I would just think, yeah, one of those guys, a walk-on receiver in this offense would be good. Of course, we talked about it last week about when we get into the season, we'll have our Friday deep digs for you, our regular week shows when we have our uh, midweek shows when we have uh, interviews and things of that nature. And of course, we'll keep our Sunday coffee is going. Um, hey, Charlie, before we go, I was looking at just crazy articles, all right? They're taking over. They got something taking over a Florida community right now. Take a guess. Pythons. No. That's kind of old news, though. Yeah. What was that, the murder hornets? Killer yeah. bees, any of that? No, this is going to be the invasive species of snails. The Snails? The city of North Port Ritchie, Florida. Officials have captured over 1,000 giant African land snails in the community in the last three weeks, okay? These snails grow up to at least eight inches. They feed on 500 plant varieties, 
and they can carry a parasite that can cause meningitis in humans. And so if you're in the North Port Ritchie, Florida area, you need to be cognizant of these African land snails. So that is north, just a little bit north of Tampa, I believe, up from Clearwater, maybe an hour or so, kind of that on the it's on the gulf kind of over from land of lakes in odessa florida oh so it's on the western side yeah so it's on the gulf in now i guess the good news about snails is they can't be very fast right i mean you don't have to chase them down talked about sunny Deshara a while ago how long by the way until a minor league baseball team is named the what was it the land snails african land snails they who knows we might go down to fort myers or sarasota and <laughs> Bradenton, the Pirates will be the land snails one night. Yeah. All right. Hey, enjoyed it as always. Look at the, the kickers, the punters. Major League Baseball draft starts next Sunday, the Major League Baseball draft. And we didn't talk about the alignment, realignment this week. We need to jump into that probably as we get closer to the season. Hey, this week could change a lot of different things. I saw where one guy came out this week and said, hey, Florida State and Clemson and Miami and Virginia, they're all going to the SEC, and everybody retweeted. And I mean, I'd never even heard of that guy. He got a lot of notoriety. You know, you make a splash for a while, but as far as lasting impact. So let me ask you this. Right now, if I gave you four teams, four schools that you could draft into the SEC, where are you going? Okay, I think you go Florida State. Okay. Just because it's within 400 miles. It's an easy travel. You got to start thinking about you know how travel for Olympic sports is. Okay. Obviously, they didn't think about that at USC or no, UCLA. Not, a, not at all. Okay. Um, I, I say Florida State. You know, I don't know. You know, Clemson kind of fits in the SEC. Um, I don't think you know. It used to be the big thing about you know television sets, but that's not as that's not as big anymore. Um, that was the big thing about Texas. I think you go North Carolina and Virginia. See, that was my question about Virginia. Is it, is it really too far? Virginia Tech fits the league. I don't know if Virginia fits the league. I can see that. You know, it maybe that's the, the ag and engineering side of me jumping out there, well, too. Well, I'll say this, though. If you're trying to elevate your academic profile, which nobody has really ever accused the SEC of doing, if you bring North Carolina and Virginia into the league, you're bringing in two really good academic institutions. Are they in the AAU? I would think they are. They have to be. That was That's kind of the big hang-up with Florida State going to the Big Ten, is they are not an AAU institution. Oh, is that the problem? Yeah, that's one of them. I do not wake up every day worried about the list of schools in the on the AAU. In fact, you might have to explain to me what that even is. I don't know. It's basketball. That's the way I think of it. Okay. That's probably enough. not the way that they think of it. All right. Hey, enjoyed it as always. Stay away from the snails in North Port Ritchie, Florida, and uh, take a look at the, the Bulldog signees next weekend. Got a couple guys to, to be on the lookout for it. So appreciate you guys listening to Sunday Coffee.